It's Tuesday, June 4th, 2019. I'm Herbie Newell, and this is the Defender Podcast, a daily encouragement to mobilize and equip the body of Christ to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children. This daily podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Well, recently, Dr. Rick was able to sit down with Renaud Vanderriet, and Renaud is a man that uh, was born and raised in South Africa, uh, but has been living in the United States of America for most of his life. Uh, Renaud uh, actually and his wife have adopted from Ethiopia, and in 2002, he and his wife planted Mosaic Church in West Orlando. Uh, Renault actually says about planting uh, his church near Disney, he says, I would say Mosaic has been deeply impacted by Disney's focus on telling a story well. Disney takes the most mundane things and turns them into magical moments. The church, he believes, often does the reverse, takes the magic of the gospel story and turns it into the mundane. And so Renault has been a passionate advocate for gospel-driven justice and for adoption through Mosaic Church. And so Dr. Rick was able to meet up with Renault at the Christian Alliance for Orphans conference, which took place in the first part of May uh, in Louisville, Kentucky. And I hope you enjoy this interview with Dr. Rick and Renault Vanderriet. All right. Welcome again to the Defender Podcast. Uh, this is Rick Morton sitting in for Herbie Newell today. Uh, and I have, a, have an incredible pleasure today. Um, we are at the Christian Alliance for Orphans, uh, the International Summit of the Christian Alliance for Orphans in Louisville, Kentucky, um, and have got a great opportunity to sit down with a uh, with a new friend, but uh, but someone that I've known of for a long time, uh, Renaud Vanderite, who is the pastor of Mosaic Church in Orlando, Florida, um, church that we we just love dearly and love the people there dearly, and have seen God move in uh, in incredible ways there, and and so looking forward to having this conversation. Renaud, thanks for thanks well, for joining us. It's a joy us. to be here with you guys, and really excited about this conversation as well, just because of the world that we're uh, navigating when it comes to uh, working with and engaging with children from vulnerable places and vulnerable children. And so it's a, it's a beautiful mess. It's a beauty and a brutality that collide. And so I'm very excited to have this conversation, yeah. So one of, one of the things, you know, right off the bat, um, Renault and his, his wife, Brooke, are, are fellows along the journey. Um, they are adoptive parents and have been in this, uh, in, in, in this world for a long time. Um, but really, you know, I think for, for a lot of us, this begins in a very, in a very personal place um, sure. with, with what the Lord does for us yeah. before, before we start thinking corporately about yeah. what the Lord's going to do yeah. for His church. And so, man, I'd love for you just to unpack a little bit of your story, kind of tell us about yeah, your family. Yeah, sure, sure. I'd love to do that. You know, um, so my wife and I have the um, privilege and uh, some days the horror of parenting eight children, um, which uh, in of itself... Um, sounds a little daunting, I'm sure. Um, what makes it probably worse is that uh, currently seven of them are teenagers, um, and functionally, my 12-year-old assumes he's a teenager because all of his siblings are teenagers, so really I have eight teenagers is what I have. Um, and uh, from a biological standpoint, uh, the correction would be that my adopted son, who's 21, isn't theoretically a teenager. But as we know in the adoptive world, a lot of times the emotional space that we're in and the functional space we're in isn't actually a biological age space. So he's a senior in high school, graduating this year. So functionally, he's a teenager, um, even though he biologically is 21. So just kind of live in the teen world right now. And so uh, in our home, 
though I'm pretty sure all my kids know and love Jesus. Uh, they know and love Jesus. I don't think they know and love us very much. And so uh, we have a ton of talking back and a ton of um, just, you know, everything is always an argument because they don't have a developed frontal lobe, which measures consequence and, and, uh, and is a filter for the mouth. But they do have an overdeveloped rest of the brain. And so that's a little, that's a little awkward in our home right now. So, so it's, a, it's a tumultuous space. Um, and and, and uh, what makes it probably more interesting for us particularly is my, my wife, you know, she is not sort of the laid back, chilled mom, mm. uh, you know, kind of just flexes with everything. She is a type A, uh, structured, driven human being. Uh, neurobiology was her track. You know, like, wow. I mean, not, and she wanted one and a half kids, a white picket fence, and you know, like, just, like, she didn't want three <laughs> kids or five or nine because she doesn't like environments disrupted. She doesn't like disorder. She likes things as they should be. And so part of that I just mentioned because I think sometimes we have in our heads the ideal mom or dad or, or couple for adoption and we don't fit right. the mold. Well, we don't fit right. the mold. And yet, um, God graciously and um, uh, in his wisdom invited and called us into the story, which doesn't fit my wife's personality and doesn't fit us super well, but it is exactly the story we need to be part of. So it's, it's been a it's been a it, it is a wild ride. It's been a wilder ride, but it is it is a wild ride, and not easy by any means in any way, shape, or form. But but an amazing ride nonetheless, and an a and a redemptive ride. That's amazing. So, so maybe unpack for us just a little bit. Yeah, the, I'll, the, I'll the story, the, the yeah. story of how kind of things developed totally. and and how the Lord uh, you know pointed you in the direction. Yeah, of so I think you know we were um, what I would perhaps call the typical Christian family that. Um, was uh, birthing children along the way, um, had in the back of our minds adoption may or may not be something we'll do in the future. Kind of that, that idea that says maybe we'll, be, we'll get called at some point by God, right? I mean, um, so, so I think we fell into the very typical space. We're not close to it if God should call, uh, but we're certainly not like out there looking for it. And if at some point it becomes something, we will look into it. Um, and I, I think, you know, um, in, in our journey throughout the process, which I'll get to a, a little bit uh, in the story, but, you know, where I sit now, I would argue that we are all, if we know Jesus, we are called to engage in mm. children, uh, vulnerable children, period. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not, it's, it's not an are you called if you're called. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean we're all called to adoption. Thank you. That's, um, <laughs> that, that's not the case. However, I, I would argue this. What we ought to do is change our paradigm from assume that you might, that you were called and if he says no, grieve that just like you would grieve finding out you can't get pregnant. Right. Don't assume you're not called and mm. kind of stay in the sidelines. And if he kind of drags you out of the shadows, go fine. We will adopt. Right. <laughs> like I, I do think we should we should go. There's, I mean, there are 100 and what, 153 million orphans globally right now. I think it may, might even be higher. And Excuse um, me, just one second, fellas. Sorry. I'm drop you, some it's stuff. totally fine. Absolutely. We can restart them. So. Yeah. Exactly. I'm, I'm holding the, the space. So, so I do think in many ways, um, just, just the idea that with 153 million orphans globally, um, that for us to imagine that we shouldn't be engaged in that as a Christ follower mm -hmm. is unimaginable to me now. Right. Um, but in those days, open to adoption, um, my wife and I went on to, uh, to a, a trip to South Africa, actually, which is where I was born and raised. 
And so um, the assumption was, if God's going to call us to adoption, it's probably going to be in South Africa. <laughs> so we went on this missions trip. Uh, God did not call us into adoption there. In fact, it, it didn't even come up at all. Mm. And so then the assumption was, oh, I guess God's not calling us we're to adoption. Period. Right? Because <laughs> we already at that point had four children, and um, and we were working on um, the the adoption process. And so I think, uh, in many ways, um, not working on the adoption process. We, you know. Uh, we, we were thinking about potentially adopting. And then the South Africa thing kind of closed that out. Well, then we went on a trip to Ethiopia uh, with a couple of the leadership from our church because there's a little town in Ethiopia that we were interested in getting engaged in as a church mm. to kind of help see some redemptive things take place there. And while we were in, e in Ethiopia at this, uh, in this little town, uh, we landed at this orphanage. And again, I'd been to third world contexts multiple times, and so this wasn't the emotional, like, first time I'm seeing an mm -hmm. orphan in the world kind of uh, experience. This was very much of just a fairly normal thing. Mm. So we were in this orphanage, and there were probably about 70 kids in the orphanage, and my wife and I were both there. I was taking pictures. She was watching, so we were kind of separated, and there was this little girl in a green dress that was five years old at the time. And she just kept capturing my attention. Wow. Um, I will tell you this. Um, she, is, she is one of my daughters, spoiler <laughs> alert. Um, she is um, my trigger. Mm. I, some days I think to myself, if I could just have her not live in our home, I'd be so mm. much happier. Like, I mean, you know, and not all days, but like she is the, the bane of my existence in, mm. on some days. Mm. And just an amazing kid. So, you know, this beautiful, like, I, I'm, I always am reminded by God, like, the one that kills you mm. now is the one I drew you to. <laughs> so it's kind of like, yeah, 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 I got you, God. So anyways, this little girl just kind of popped up. And long story short, my wife and I, through some conversations, God had been doing the same thing in, in her heart that day. And we figured out kind of through some prayer, God may be calling us to adopt this little girl. Mm. Over a period of a year in pursuing the adoption with her, we found out, we were first told she has no parents, no siblings, but we realized the system was corrupt and they were trying to work us um, to sponsor her. We found out there were three siblings in the orphanage. Wow. Well, I mean, there was no way on planet Earth we were adopting four kids. Um, certainly, I mean, that was very, like, if you said to me, so was your plan to adopt four? I'd be like, are you out of your mind? <laughs> Nobody plans Nobody to do that, right? Nobody plans to do that, and especially not us. Um, and so uh, we were looking for three families in our church that mm. would adopt the, th the three others, and then we would adopt the one. I, was like, mm. I, I thought it was a great plan. Yeah. I mean, they grew up <laughs> as cousins. We do vacations together. Um, but uh, in the process, uh, on our, my second trip to Ethiopia about a year later, my wife was at the airport uh, saying goodbye to me before I went through security, and she suddenly just blurts out, if it's two, I'm open to that, which was funny because God had been stirring her for like four months and she hadn't told me because she didn't want to believe it. She was like, I'm not doing two more. But she just said it and I'm like, what? And she's like, I just, if it's two, I'm, I'm open to that. And so I'm like, okay. So I fly to Ethiopia. I'm at the orphanage seeing our daughter we're pursuing now. We know she's our daughter. We know we're going to pursue her. And her sister um, I hug her sister saying goodbye, and God just speaks mm. directly to my heart and says, this is your daughter. Wow. It's just a very direct uh, thing. And so I call Brooke from Ethiopia, and I'm like, honey, it's the two girls. Um, now, we have two biological girls and two biological boys, and our oldest is a girl. So we have girl, boy, girl, boy. And um, so bringing the two girls into the home, 
the other daughter was a little bit older, but she didn't break the birthing order, mm-hmm. which is a thing, you know. Oh, yeah. Um, and so we were like, okay, well, it, it still fits, doesn't break the birthing order. We have six, which means the minivan's still a go. Um, you know, just a, a lot of sequences there that you're like, okay, she didn't break the, the birthing order. She didn't disrupt anything. The minivan still fits. I already said that, so scratch that, whoever's blending yeah. this. Okay, here we go. So, so have, being able to keep the minivan was a thing for us, and um, everything fit. And then I came back, and over the next six months, um, God began to uh, stir some other things in us mm. because there was another family adopting the two boys. We were going to adopt the two girls. And the family adopting the two boys, uh, the gentleman lost his job, and so that adoption fell through. So now suddenly we're faced with this tremendous reality. Do we adopt all four, which is insane, or do we split siblings, potentially lose the boys, or Mm. in splitting the sibling group, do we lose the girls too? Mm. So um, I I ended up going to God on that one. I remember sitting in uh, out of the schoolroom at my house, and my big thing was, one of the boys is older than all my kids, so there, there goes the birthing order, which is a big no. Right. And you don't bring older boys into a home with younger girls right. in the adoption world. I mean, you just it's just not okay. Right. And I would still say today, by the way, I mm-hmm. hold to both those standards. Mm-hmm. If anybody asks me, I'm like, right. don't break the birthing order, don't bring boys into the home that are older than your biological girls, unless God is very direct. Mm-hmm. And I was sitting in the living room, in the schoolroom, and I remember... Uh, the difference between God's moment with me with Fitzsimti, our daughter, where he said, this is your daughter, or even Rahel, where he said, here she is. With the two boys, he just kind of invited me in my heart, just saying, mm. do you trust me enough to do this? Mm. No, it wasn't a command. It wasn't even a test. I could sense in, in the spirit. It was just, I'm just legitimately asking the question, mm-hmm. are you going to dare to trust me enough? And so... Um, the question God asked me in, in, my, in my heart wasn't, do you believe that I can protect your girls from these boys if things go badly? The question he asked me was, do you believe that if things go badly and they actually engage in abusing your daughters, that I can redeem that? Mm. Which was a question I had mm. no interest in him asking me. Right, like I, right, I'm like, right. I don't, that is an inappropriate question. Like you don't even get to ask that question. Right. But he did. And as a pastor who preaches in regularity that God can redeem anything and mm. that God redeems all things in, in, in his due time. Like I faced this incredible, scary space where I'm like, you kind of had to go like, do you believe this? And I will tell mm. you, I felt very confident that God was giving me the freedom to say no and go, mm. I'm not ready for that. And I think he would have just tracked a different direction with the boys, but I didn't say no. I mm. said, God, I, I can't say I don't believe that. I do believe that. And so that started the journey of adopting all four. And so we went through a almost three-year process. It was very complicated, very mm-hmm. expensive, very difficult. We cried many tears um, to bring them home, not knowing that the biggest tears we would cry and the hardest days we would have were not the ones waiting for them to come, yeah. but when they came. Um, I always tell people when they ask, in the journey of adoption, what was it like going from four children to eight children overnight and bringing four older children? Because when they came, they were 14, 12, 10, and eight. And my biological children were 12, 10, eight, and six. So there was that convergence. Mm -hmm. And I always tell people, if you took two tractor trailers and you drove them at each other at 100 miles an hour, and your big hope was that when they collide, they'll turn into one big, pretty, giant tractor trailer, (laughs) that was pretty much the naivety, I think, into which we walked. we're gonna bring these two families together. We're gonna to make right. them one. Right. But when two tractor trailers collide like that at 100 miles an hour, exactly what you think you're gonna get, that's what you get mm-hmm. when two families like that collide. 
And so it was blood and gore and death and insanity and a mess and body parts everywhere from an emotional standpoint. Mm. The first few years were uh, just a, an entire house full of trauma, secondary trauma, um, impacts of trauma. My wife crashed spiritually and emotionally and mentally and physically in so many ways. And my biological children went through a, a hellish realities. And again, no, no abuse or anything like that, but just the emotional realities. Mm. I, as the dad trying to hold it all together, was like, I mean, I have, I have some optimism, man, but right. my optimism was suddenly all your coping mechanisms and stuff, they fail you. Your marriage is, is I mean, pressed to the brink. Mm-hmm. And we went, we went through all of that. I mean, I remember um, a sort of a tipping point moment for us. We were at a little seminar for TBRI stuff, mm-hmm. um, which if you're in the adoption world, you know what that is. And we'd, we'd watched Karen Purvis and done her stuff. It was a little, little day seminar, and we're like, let's go this into this stupid TBRI <laughs> stuff again. Because, you know, you try to apply it, and it's, it sounds wonderful on the video, but yeah. then it, just, it's, it just doesn't work in the home because you have eight kids. And this while I'm rocking this one in my arms, like, you know, coaxing them into right. their childhood memories, the others are beating each other with baseball bats, and I'm like, I can't do this. So um, the, 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 it was at this therapy space, uh, as, as center, and the head of the therapy center knew of us because of pastoring mosaic and she came up afterwards like oh it's so nice to meet you so great to have you guys here and my wife just burst into tears and mm-hmm. i just looked at her and said don't worry she does this all the time like because it was so standard i'm like you say the word adoption she starts crying you say the word child she starts crying you say the word trauma she starts crying you just say a word for that matter she starts crying because we were just in a hard place and she kind of said i i feel like you know we could step in with you guys and we started a therapeutic journey mm. as a family that made a world of mm. difference in our journey. And I say all that just to say this. Every expectation we had of how this was going to go mm. and the beauty of it and all that, uh, the first few years were just brutal. It was brutal. And there's great redemptive beauty in it. And, and I would say where we are now, seven years into the adoption, you know, my kids are now in a different space. And I would say this. Uh, we sorted all the parts of the two tractor trailers. Mm-hmm. They were in piles. We started rebuilding over a seven-year period. We have a chassis now Mm. with some wheels on it. The wheels are bent. Mm. So when you start this puppy up, it sounds rough. And when you drive a little bit, it does drive. It's a family, but it bumps and Mm -hmm. it's like creaky and we've got duct tape everywhere. But we're confident that as we keep building into this year over year, that we'll look back someday and say, we have a giant tractor trailer that looks just like a family. And it's bigger than any other two tractor trailers Mm. on the road. Uh, so the collision didn't give us our big tractor trailer. The collision gave us our mess. Mm. But God's grace in decades of building, which we're seven years into, we know without a shadow of a doubt will give us a beautiful big tractor trailer. So Man, we're getting there. One step that is time. a fantastic illustration. And I, I think, you know, as I, as I hear you tell your story, um, to, uh, there, there's some notable pieces, you know, along the way. And I, I think... Um, you know, many times in, in this in this space and, and in you know around these considerations in the church, um, we have a tendency to be really emotional. Yeah. You know, yeah. and 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 sometimes are are really led into led into emotional decisions. Yeah. And and the 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 way that you're able to testify to to the spirits leading. Yeah. And and to and to knowing that. This this wasn't emotion. This wasn't a bad yeah. you know a, ba- a yeah. bad moment with pizza that yeah. you know yeah. like there's this it's but it's a it's a consistent you know drawing process of the Holy Spirit and and of God moving you into the right place and and I I think um, for those folks that are listening that are 
that are, are trying to discern what the next step is, yeah. um, we can be confident that, yeah. that the Lord is going to lead, that yeah. God will, he will. God he will. will, you know, impress. And, and then, you know, I, I think the, the other part is just the reality of um, we don't have to write a fairy tale. No, Because no. it's not going to be a fairy tale. No, it's not. It's a nightmare. Yeah. And, and it's a nightmare because you're walking into broken places. Right. I mean, by, by its very definition, we're engaging in a place that shouldn't be. Mm-hmm. There shouldn't be orphans in the world. There shouldn't be broken families. If Adam and Eve had never stepped into the mess they stepped into and sin had never entered our story and death had never been its fruit, none of this would exist. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't have to, as parents, deal with trying to love a child that isn't biologically born from us. Right. We shouldn't have to try to figure out the different feelings between the feelings I have for my biological child and my adopted child. And if you're wondering, as you listen to this podcast, did he just say we're allowed to say that we have different feelings? Well, you, you don't have to, but I'm going to say it because <laughs> we have different feelings. And then you, then you feel guilty and shameful that you have different mm-hmm. feelings and aren't supposed to love equally. And what is equal anyways? And what does that mean? None of that was ever supposed to exist because the world wasn't supposed to be broken, but it is broken. And because it's broken, Jesus had to enter the world in flesh and blood, crawl Mm. into a human body, live uncomfortably sweating and going to the bathroom and getting hungry when he was the God of the universe, uh, voluntarily setting aside his divine attributes to Mm. be human for a season uh, in dependence of the Holy Spirit. It's an insanity that should never have happened. And then to serve us to the point of death by allowing us to crucify him on the cross, just thinking the very people he came to save are the ones that ended up crucifying Mm. him. And you can start hearing a theme here Mm. on adoption. Um, That should never have happened because we shouldn't have been a broken world and a broken people, but we were, so we needed redeeming. And so Jesus enters into our story as one who comes into the discomfort of our world, uh, enters a body like us, walks among us, uh, engages in the difficulties and struggles, the temptations of our world. It says, you know, he, as we were, experienced life mm-hmm. as a human, um, yet without sin. And then for him to uh, be put to death by the very people that, that he came to save, but knowing that that was actually the process of redemption because resurrection would ultimately then seal the, the, the price he paid for us. In that process, I realize that engaging in, in, in children from hard places, in vulnerable children's lives, whether through adoption, foster care, safe families, or engaging in some way as a family or a mm-hmm. church, if we expect it to go well, we're, we're out of our minds. Mm-hmm. I mean, really, if, if you happen to have an adoption that's gone super well for like a decade, <laughs> I mean, just go get on your knees right now and thank God that you are the single exception I know about, right? right? I mean, like <laughs> legit. So I think what we do in the church a lot, unfortunately, as a church community is because we are so used to fairy tales, meaning we present the very best. Yeah. We feel this need to be able to not say what we're actually feeling. Mm-hmm. My marriage is falling apart, but I can't say that because God called us into adoption. Right. And all they're going to say to me is, well, you shouldn't have adopted. Right. Or I think I hate my child. Right. He did not just say that on a podcast. No, I did. I said it plain and clear because I've had those thoughts in my head. Like... How am I hating somebody that I'm supposed to be rescuing? Mm-hmm. Like when we have these things happen to us, we have nowhere to say them because the Christian world doesn't allow for them very easily. And we need to change that dynamic. And we need to have space where we just say, you know, this is the deal. At Mosaic, where I pastor, we have um, almost 300 children adopted into forever homes. So now our lobby. You did hear that right, by the way, 300, folks. Yeah, 300, 300 and, and children. And that's not foster care. Right. That's not safe families. There's hundreds of those. <laughs> But what that has afforded us 
is if you come into our lobby at any point in time, the conversations you overhear, it's like listening to the debriefing room after a giant war on a right. hill. Like, did you get shot in the shoulder? Yeah, man, I, my shoulder was blown right. off this scar. Right? I mean, man, how'd that feel? It was terrible, but the guys sewed it back on. Like, it looks like you're still bleeding yeah. out of the ear. Yeah, they haven't fixed it. Like, it's just right. a lot of like, yeah, I, I, I don't know how I'm going to love this child. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I hear you, man. And, and we're able to engage in these spaces. My marriage is, is dying. I, I, I don't know what to do with, with that. We're able to engage in those spaces. So for us, um, the, the collision between our personal story and then uh, because as a preacher, I wanted to make sure long before adoption, we were preaching out of our life and vulnerability. I was preaching the struggle and difficulty of both the trying to get the kids home and then the kids are home. And so more and more people in our church started realizing, as I started realizing as a pastor, man, God's redemptive plan to come and rescue us came hard. And then he says this to us. This was a giant discovery for me. It sounds odd because it's so obvious, but uh, Jesus said to his disciples um, in the book of Luke at a point that he was kind of walking through with them what it meant to follow him. He said, look, if you're going to follow me, there's two things he actually said. One, you're going to take up your cross daily and follow me. And two, he mentioned you're going to lose your life for my sake. Right. So like, I mean, right. we kind of brush over those. They're like, yeah. <laughs> like that's not really a like big deal, right? Like it's not what he really meant. Yeah. He couldn't have meant either of those things. Or what we do is we say the cross thing is like you might encounter some circumstances mm -hmm. and you just, you know, bear them well like right. a good Christian. Not the instrument of your not death. Not the instrument of your death. Yeah. But the reality is the cross didn't fall on Jesus' back by accident. Right. He went and took it on to redeem us. Right. So I think the context that Jesus is speaking there, knowing his cross that he would bear, isn't one that comes accidentally. It's one that says this, to redeem the things in this world, you are going to have to go take on somebody's brokenness. Mm -hmm. And when you do, it's going to come like a cross. And in fact, the chances you get crucified on that thing by the very people you're rescuing is rock solid. The only thing you can count on is that I'll, I'll, I, will, uh, I will bring you back to life on the other side. I will resurrect you. So I used to say all the time when we were dead for a couple of years, I mean, we were just dying. I would say, well, the only hope I have is that Jesus resurrects this thing. Mm -hmm. I would drive down the highway in my car by myself and I would shout to God, you, you better fix this man mm -hmm. because if you don't, there's no hope. Right. Like this thing's too far gone to ever. So, I mean, we've lived in those spaces. Two of our adopted children have reactive attachment disorder. So that mm -hmm. in of itself is just an insane ride. And, um, and so... It, it's, just, it's, it's been a beautiful brutality um, or a brutal beauty, either way that you look at it, to encounter this invitation to say, Jesus came to redeem us. He called us to be redeemers alongside him now. He said, go into all the world. He said, you're going to take up your cross, go find unredeemed things, mm. unredeemed people, and take it on, man. Mm. And he said, you're going to feel like you're dying on it. Yeah. And sometimes you're going to die. You're going to lose your life for my sake. But if you lose your life for my sake, you'll find the very purpose that I made mm. you for. And so we live in our adoption now on the very, very hard days, and there's still many of them, where we go, look, this sucks. It really does. I mean, this is bad. But we are living in the one space mm. that I just feel like mm. this is what we were made for once we come to know Jesus. Mm. This planet is a breath. It's a vapor. It'll pass mm. like this. And when I leave this planet and I sit by a fireplace someday uh, on the other side of eternity and Paul sitting next to me maybe and Gideon maybe and Ruth and maybe Rahab would be there and we're going around telling stories. Okay, so t tell us your story. And I kind of go, I read yours already, Paul, so got yours, brother. But that we're going around and you know maybe there's a guy uh, next to me, you know, Steve is sitting next to me. And when it gets to me, you know, after Paul shared his mm -hmm. story, 
Like, I don't want to share, like, well, I, I tithe 3%. I went to church regularly. Mm-hmm. And I uh, went on a missions trip mm-hmm. to um, Costa Rica. It was a surfing trip. Mm-hmm. You know, like, right. I just, I, 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 I don't want to lay that on the table. Yeah. Here's what I get to lay on the table. Eight kids, seven teenagers, two rad. Paul, I would have picked shipwrecked right. over that. And I want them all to be, like, high-fiving me going, right. dude, that's amazing. Not to... Not to say I want to compare. It's like I want to live the kind of life that belongs in the book of Acts. Right. And I will tell you, if you're an adoptive family, if you're mm-hmm. fostering, welcome. Yeah. Welcome. Um, there's, a, um, uh, there's a saying in the uh, special forces uh, mm-hmm. military divisions uh, that says um, to those downrange um, and, you know, darn few. I'll just put right, it that way. Right. They don't use the word darn. Right. Um, and and uh, uh, my friends and I, my adopted my friends who have adopted and I, we, we use that a lot right. because those of us that have stepped into this world, mm-hmm. it feels like a war zone. Yeah. And when we are able to admit that and we're able to say this is hard, and even as a church, it's had a tremendous impact mm-hmm. on our church, both negatively and positively mm-hmm. in different ways. Um, it's a war zone. Yeah. And, th- and then you get to kind of high five each other and go, man, to those downrange, man, yeah. there's just a few of us, but welcome, welcome to the family. And I think you know having having spent some time with your church and and having having been with you know with that community of believers a little bit that you know one of the things that I think we struggle with in the orphan care community some and yeah. is is that in our over romanticization it's probably not even a word uh, it sounds uh, like a word yeah it, it, let's we'll, roll with it we'll 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 canonize it right now so but but like with you know there's there's been this sense of that that we've really you know sort of equated spiritual adoption and earthly adoption and it's and it's been very thin and pretty shallow yeah. and yeah. you know not very and and so like just to hear you today first of all to unpack the gospel with that kind of depth and and say like this is really what we're in yeah um the other part of it is seeing the health of, of the families in your church and I'm not talking about because families are okay yeah what yeah. what what I'm talking about is that I think we have a lot of adoptive and foster families who are living behind a mask, yeah, who, are, who are living behind a front, who yeah. are saying, like, we're dying behind yeah. this. But we're, we're somehow, like, we almost feel like we're disappointing Jesus if we, if we just let it out there and tell yes. people how really tough this is. Yes. Yes. And, and, and one of the things that I was, I was incredibly both impressed with but blessed by is, is just the reality and, and the transparency um, of of the adoptive and foster families in your church, that that there there's, yeah. there was a sense that that people are going, yeah, this is tough. It's yeah. hard. It's the it's the hardest thing we've ever done, yeah. and 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 some and it's of them, would, us. Yeah, yeah, and we're suffering. We're yeah. dying. Yeah, but um, but the Lord has not left us, no. and yeah. and and we are not alone. Yeah. and and this you know this sense of of resolve that that by God's grace, yeah. um, we're we're continuing to. Yeah. To press on today, yeah. and it, it would be crazy to me to think if you if you make this a physical thing, you're at war, right? right. You're a bunch of uh, men and women uh, in a war zone, and um, you're getting shot at, and multiple of you are getting wounded, right? Mm-hmm. It would be a crazy thing for us to go cover up that wound. Are you crazy? Right. Don't let anybody see that you got shot. Quick, right. here, put this jacket on. Right. Like like we I say that now, and you're like. Yeah, that would right. be insane. Right. But, but that's, that's exactly what, that's what, what we, we do. do. We say, since you're doing this for Jesus, there ought to be this spiritualization of it that says it, it ought to be going well because we also have mm. an ideology in America that's an American Christianity that's insane that says this. If God is in it, 
it'll go well. Yeah. All the disciples died horrible deaths, right. and, and Jesus <laughs> died. So I'm like, I don't know where we where we birthed that, uh, mm. other than the American reality that says, you know, the uh, happiness is our pursuit, and the American dream is happiness. And so, if God is the ultimate version of the American dream, which mm. FYI is not, right? Um, then then the assumption would be. It might be hard at first because the American dream, we always say that, mm. you work hard and then oh, you get the, so now we equate that this way. You do what God says at first right. with faith. Right. It's very hard. And then as soon as you do it, oh, but when it doesn't turn out that way and it's really hard and terrible and it's going badly, then what we secretly think is I must not be spiritual enough. Mm. That's why it's going badly. Mm. Instead of going, it's going badly because you're adopted. Right. Like, just that you right. did that that's gonna go badly yeah and, in, and instead of ripping our shirts off and going i got shot i'm bleeding we cover it up and i'm like no so you're exactly right the reason we're surviving in our church is not because we're hiding it's because we're actually saying mm. we're a mess mm. and this is messy and it's hard and so you know that didn't happen one day it, it, it came over a period of time in our church watching people more and more adopting, more and more fostering, and more and more dying, just kind of starting to go, we, we got to talk more about this, guys, and be honest about this. Um, and I think for me as a pastor, it became clear to me that I've got to stop um, even holding back ever so slightly in what I say. If I feel something that's real, I, am, I, I need to say it. Now, I can say this is a feeling I have, and I know it not to be true in terms of truth, but it is nonetheless as valid a feeling as I've ever had. And so when I say I'm sitting looking at a child that I'm supposed to love and I don't know what to do with the hatred I feel toward them because they have wrecked my family, or I'm sitting looking at the reality of children and saying, why is it when I tuck this one in versus tucking this one in, I feel so very different tucking this one and this one and one's by and one's not. And then having to reconcile, do I love them differently? And over years now, discovering what that actually looks like, and it's been a beautiful mm -hmm. journey, but it's hard. We have to say these mm -hmm. things because then suddenly you feel the weight lifting and you're like, oh, he feels that way too. Mm -hmm. And so our families, I would say this, are doing very well at Mosaic, not because they're doing well, but mm -hmm. because they're not hiding. That's awesome. and, and, and we will do well in the future because we're caring for each other's wounds. We're actually saying, lay down, you're bleeding. We got to bandage that mm -hmm. up. We got to get you to the hospital. We, we're actually saying it's okay that you got shot. You know, one of the stories in scripture that has become my absolute favorite story personally is the story of Peter. Peter's my favorite mm. person in scripture. I can't wait to meet him. I really can't <laughs> wait. I'm going to give him a giant hug and, and just, uh, but, but Peter um, had such, such that personality. It was like jump first, parachute second, right. you know? Um, and uh, Which sounds like an adoptive parent. It does. It does. And that's why I think I relate so much to him. But um, when he was in the garden um, on the very last night that Jesus um, was on the planet before crucifixion, um, you know, when the soldiers came, Pete, mm -hmm. Pete pulled a sword out and Jesus said to him, dude, I've got like, I've got like leagues of angels behind me. You can put the sword away. I, I got this. Um, and then Jesus was arrested. Well, all the disciples go hide. John goes with Jesus because his mom was friends with the high priest. And so mm -hmm. he had some inroads. And so he could kind of without danger go mm -hmm. with. But Peter didn't have those connections. And so he had to sneak with the mob that was following Jesus. And that mob was bloodthirsty. And when they were in the courtyard of the high priest during the trial, once those doors shut at the courtyard, what happens behind that door, the Rome doesn't care about. So there they stone people. There they drag people to death. There they burn people. I mean, it's bad. Peter's in that courtyard now, right? So he's warming his hands by the fire. Jesus is up on a stage being tried. Peter's warming and somebody says to him, 
aren't you with Jesus? And we know the story. Right. We call, you know, uh, Peter the denier, right. you know. And I'm like, I swear we're going to die. And they're going to go, I'm not Thomas the doubter. And he's going, right. no, I'm not Peter. You, you people are crazy. Um, but the bottom line is Peter says, no, I'm not. Now, Peter's been protecting Jesus all this time. He was willing to pull his sword out and die in the garden. So why now the sudden change? And I think as I put myself in his shoes, I realize, you know, he's strategically standing there. He's now gotten to that point where he's like, all is lost. Mm. Jesus is. Jesus thought he had leagues of angels. Apparently he didn't because now he's arrested. Nothing's happened. How do I save Jesus from himself? I'm the disciple that's older than the others. I'm supposed to watch over Jesus. I didn't do my job with the sword. Now I'm stuck in the stupid courtyard. What do I do? And without even thinking, you know how you just do that? You're just like, no, nah, man, I'm not with him. And then a second time and a third time. And every time he's just like, stop it. And then the, the rooster. And then Jesus looks over at Peter. The Bible has this moment. And we've always used that as a reprimand, you know, like, mm. oh, shame on you, Peter. But then I'm like, why would Jesus tell him the night before? Actually, that night, you're going to deny me in the morning and then reprimand him when he does it. Like, nothing about that makes sense. What makes perfect sense is Jesus saying this to Peter. Peter, I know you think you've got it in you to save me, but I'm here to save you. You're not here to save me. Mm. Tomorrow morning... The essence of who you are, every every expectation you've ever had on yourself, you're you're gonna blow it at that level. And if you're an adoptive parent, if you haven't come to the end of yourself yet, you will. Mm. I promise you. Mm. I have thought things and felt things inside of me that I didn't know were humanly possible for me to feel and think. Terrible, terrible thoughts and terrible things. And and I have come to places where, as a dad, I always took pride in being a great dad. And I sucked as a dad after adoption on multiple fronts and as a husband. And so I've come to the end of me. I felt like I was Peter in that courtyard warming my hands and denying Jesus over and over again in my house. Like just the way I was handling stuff, it was terrible. And when Jesus looks over at Peter, I believe now as I realize because he was going to get on the beach with Peter a little later on, it's almost like Jesus going like this. Dude, we already had this conversation. Don't, don't feel all bent out of shape. Don't, don't feel shame. I already told you this was going to happen. You don't know there's a beach coming where we're going to restore all of this. Just relax. Peter didn't know all of that then, but he would find that mm. out. Here's what I think. Um, I, I, now, I don't think this. I know this. I got in the courtyard with my wife. We adopted kids, yeah. right? That courtyard is brutal. They're, they're out to kill you. Not your kids, although sometimes they are too. <laughs> but just this whole world of adoption and the messiness. And sometimes in this courtyard, I fail. I deny Christ. I... I do things and say things and feel things I shouldn't. I get it. And every time I do, I, I try to have those eyes of Jesus look over at me saying, there's a beach coming and we're going to have this conversation. Or, no, you still love me, right? And I'm going to go, yeah, you know I do. You still love me, right? Yes, yes, Jesus. Are you sure you love me? Come on, are you kidding me? Of course I love you. And he's going to go, I knew that, but you needed to say it three times. Mm. Now stop fussing around about the failure in the courtyard and get on feeding my sheep. And so I always live in that space now like, at least I'm not hiding in some house like the rest of the disciples were. Mm. See, he shouldn't be calling, uh, we shouldn't be calling Peter, Peter the denier. Mm. We should call Peter, Peter the courageous. And in the courtyard, yes, he failed. But where were the others? They were hiding in a house. And so I'm like, dude, I adopted. So if I'm going to be in my house and sometimes I'm going to, you know, freak out a bit and have cuss words run through my head and drive down the road going, oh my gosh, this is insane. I want to, I, I, I don't even know what I'm going to do. Welcome to the courtyard. Mm. It's a hard place. But I'm also in the courtyard with Jesus and he's right there on the stage and he's watching over me and he's looking at me going, I got you, Renaud. Remember, I'm here to save you. You're not here to save me. So keep plugging away at this 
and I will redeem the story as you plug away at it. Wow. So it's, it's wow. been a hard space, but it's been a beautiful space, and we've discovered much of Jesus in it. And so as a church then, because all this that I'm sharing with you, you know, comes off the stage because right. I just kind of preach my life. Right. More and more people started wanting to get involved. Our church kind of started taking steps. We started real small. And so if you're a church out there uh, or you're maybe an adoptive family in a church and you're like, I want to be a part of a church that has all this going on. I'm like, dude, it didn't start this way. Right. It, it's taken us a decade. So where do you start? Where do you like, I, mm -hmm. I want that. First of all, I would tell you, if you're an adoptive family or a fostering family, you need to be in a church that either gets it or you're helping them get it. If you've tried and tried and tried and they're not, and I know this sounds harsh, but you don't survive alone on this. Mm. You need to find a church mm. that has a community of adoptive or fostering people That's good. or a church that gets it. Most churches though, if you start pressing in, you'll be surprised with a bit of time, they'll, they'll start getting it. So there's a couple of things I would say that really helped our church get it in the early days. We started with the idea of if Jesus came to redeem us and it was hard, then we should expect it to be hard to redeem other things. And if the primary premise of the gospel is that I was orphaned after Adam and Eve, my human parents blew it, and I am the recipient of that through the sin that tracked through it, right? I am orphaned from God, and he came and rescued me by coming to planet Earth, dying on a cross, mm -hmm. and resurrecting, that the actual essence of the gospel is an adoptive story. Mm. And so no wonder Old and New Testament, God makes it non-negotiable to deal with children from hard places, yep. vulnerable children. children. And I always tell pastors this when I do encounter other pastors, because I hear this all the time. Well, that's not our church's area of passion. You know, we do, we do prison ministry. We do homelessness. We do, I love prison ministry. Right. I, love, I love human trafficking. I mean, we do a lot of those right. kinds of things. Those are all passion points that you get to pick. Which one do you want to do? They're all part of the sin mess, so pick one. But orphan care is not one you get to pick. Mm. It's a non-negotiable in mm. Scripture. It's the one that he says, be a father to the fatherless. Go out and care for the orphan. And, and then it was almost like Jesus went, okay, they may not get it, so let me just summarize it for them. And James, you know, chapter 1, I know we harp on this, but it is such a plain verse. Like, do you want to know what kind of religion God will just go fist bump? That's it, bud. Right. Take care of the widows and the orphans yeah. and don't get polluted by the ways of this world. And we in America and the Western culture get polluted by the ideologies mm. of the American dream mm. and uh, that comfort and convenience is a right that we should pursue, even in Christianity. And so we abandon anything that will create great discomfort. Mm -hmm. Are you going to adopt? How's it going to affect your bio children? Mm -hmm. Badly. Oh, well, not doing it. Like, I'm sorry. That's just not in the Bible. Yeah. So... We abandon things that are hard when they start getting hard because God didn't make them easy right after mm. he called us in. And we've missed the boat. And we need to start pressing back in. Um, and we started as a church pressing back into saying, look, we've, we've got to take care of children that are vulnerable. That's non-negotiable in scripture. Then all the other things we can do as well and pick and choose, but this one we're not gonna mm. pick and choose. We've got to go into hard places to do it and it's going to be hard. So we have to figure out how to survive the hard. We have to get base camp we have to get wraparound care we have mm -hmm. to do things and we started building so it started simple with us we just started sponsoring kids in global arenas that are vulnerable by sending money to things like compassion we started using other organizations like compassion or world vision then we actually went to ethiopia and established our own little center there then we built on that then foster care and adoption started playing in we did safe families first so we started small mm -hmm. and nobody was adopting yet and so, and so we just kind of built. And so I would say this to a church 
uh, that wants to start getting involved. Start somewhere. Start with one thing, start small. And before you start somewhere, start with one thing and start small, uh, find some people in your church that may already be involved in fostering adoption or safe families and see where it goes. Awesome. Renaud, this is Herbie. Hey, Herbie. How are, how are you? you? Pleasure to meet you. Good to see you. Yeah, you too. We are... Hey, how are you? Well, thanks for listening to Defender Podcast. For more information or to connect with me, please visit HerbieNewell.com. To partner with Lifeline, visit LifelineChild.org. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at LifelineChild.org. Beloved, will you allow God to use the gospel through you to impact the life of a child? Please contact us because we are here to defend the fatherless. We'll see you again tomorrow for the Defender Podcast.